This episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast is brought to you by Bant.io, the AI-powered all-in-one lead generation solution that leverages top-performing strategies from over 12,000 campaigns, including email, social outreach, pay-per-click, retargeting, and sales chatbots. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is John Jantz and my guest today is David Berkus. He's the best-selling author of five books about business and leadership. And we're going to talk about his latest book called Leading from Anywhere, the essential guide to managing remote teams. So welcome back, David. Oh, yeah. Thank you for having me. It's been a while, but I think we both had books coming out right around the same time in 2018, which was fun. I would say, where's your book this time around? But this has been a lockdown project for me and I wouldn't wish it on anyone. And the, and as we'll get into, there was probably a timely nature to this one of some sorts too, I'm sure. But I'm, I'm, my new next book has been turned in. It's coming out September of 2021. So. Oh, so we get to be twinsies again. That's great. That's, that's right. I love it. So, so let's talk about leading from anywhere. Is there a why now moment that, that kind of spurred this one? Yeah. The why now, like you said, it's obvious, right? So this was, I, I was doing a project looking into a lot of the research on what made for uh, high functioning teams, high performing teams already. And yeah. so it was a bit of a pivot, right? So we were working on that book. We were in talks with a publisher around that book. The, the project, I'm still researching and mapping it all out. And then I, I got an email from a different editor at the same publishing house that said, Hey, with everything that's going on, yeah. do you think there's a way that this could address that? And so we engaged in this kind of big pivot where it became, okay, Let's put it all in the context of, of virtual. I think the great work from home experiment began in most countries somewhere around March 15th. And by April or May, it became obvious that this was not a couple of weeks to flatten the curve. And then, and, and now we're months in. And I think it's obvious that most of us aren't going back to the eight to five Monday through Friday schedule. And if you're running a business for sure, you probably, depending on the size of your business, it was probably an easier pivot than a largely large corporations. But you realizing now there's a benefit to that flexibility. People are actually, once they get past the burnout phase and adjust their schedules, people are more engaged when they have that freedom and flexibility. So that's where the from anywhere actually became, because I really think the future of work is letting people work from wherever they are, sometimes at the office, sometimes at the home, sometimes at other places. And so how do you run that team is of particular interest right now. And, and I know there was a great learning, as you said, that's gone on by a lot of companies. But the fact of the matter is remote work and remote work teams have been with us maybe as long as 30 years, certainly 20 years, there have been companies that have been doing this. Was this really just a great awakening of a new generation to it? Yeah, I would say that. I, I call it the rise and fall and rise of, of remote work. So you're exactly right. We could go back even further if you think about it. Like the British Empire, you know, the sun never set on it. So it was managing remote work in, in some regards for a long time. But really, you're right. In the context of most knowledge work and most organizations, we're talking about a 30-year be beginning about 30 years ago. And what's interesting to me is around the, the late 2008, 9, 10, the early teens, there was a fall. A lot of, especially led by tech, who you'd think would be the cutting edge of remote work, had a backlash. And we started to read all of those articles about companies increasing their campus, building larger, more elaborate campuses with free food and all of these activities. And this idea that if we can get them more present, we can make them more productive. And it was this interesting kind of backlash against it. So the trend was actually going backwards. It wasn't, there was still remote work and there were companies of, you know, Automatic, for example, or Basecamp are really notable distributed companies with hundreds, uh, in the case of Automatic, thousands of employees. But for the most part, for most people, 
remote work was actually kind of going backwards until we had no other option. There was a big hurdle in a lot of leaders' minds, the big separation between presence and productivity that needed to happen, I guess, again, if we think about the remote work trend, and we're there now. And so now I think we're at a place where we're still going to come back to the office, but I think people are going to be there a lot less than you think, and a lot fewer people are going to be excited about going back to that cubicle than most people think. I remember the big dust up. I think it was Marissa Mayer going back to Yahoo and yep. call, calling all the troops back. The, yeah, the the infamous "We need to be one Yahoo" uh, memo, and and that led to a bunch of other companies following suit. I, that was right after that. A couple months after that, you had um, Best Buy CEO, the new uh, CEO Hubert Jolly, said basically put an end to the results only work environment, which Best Buy headquarters was they invented. It was this idea that you have an office, but you don't have to be there all the time, et cetera. And he said, no, you, we need to be together. We need to be able to know that when we call an emergency meeting, everyone can be there. And yeah, then you saw Facebook building a couple, just a couple years ago, getting super excited about their $1 billion massive Frank Geary designed open office that's now basically vacant. Yeah, I, I think the whole open office thing, that's a whole nother topic, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I actually wrote about it in, in uh, 2016. <laughs> I wrote a book called Under New Management, and the, the idea was to apply psychology to a lot of those workplace trends like open offices, like unlimited vacation, like salary transparency, et cetera. And I had a pretty, I didn't have nice things to say about open offices. Even five years ago, there was some pretty compelling research that yeah, they increase serendipity and employee interactions, but they also increase stress levels. They increase sickness, which is obviously something to be avoided right now. Right. They increase a lot of things that we don't want in our yeah. work experience as well. So it's interesting, but Facebook is a great example, a company that was priding itself on building this massive open office. Just four years later, it turned out to be a waste of money. So a lot of the work that we were forced to do when people were sent home and, and into lockdowns it turned into really being Zoom meetings. It was what work became. But but work's way more than that, isn't it? <laughs> um, or a workplace is way more than that. Yeah, exactly. And to be honest, most of those Zoom meetings were depriving people of doing the work that would actually create value for the company. So there was that. I agree with you. For many managers, for many even business owners, there's a, it's really easy to measure presence. It's really easy to know when someone's there and when they're not there. And so it becomes a proxy for productivity. And in the initial stages of the great work from home experiment, as I like to think of it, that the Zoom meeting became the new substitute for presence. We were just always going to be in those Zoom meetings. Gr gradually, most teams have realized there are things that are actually more important. In fact, I, I like to think, if you think about the in-office meeting, which was never itself all that productive, so it's not like Zoom meetings have a high bar to clear. But if you think about it, the most productive parts of those were usually not the meeting itself, but the time before and after the time where a couple people would be there early and you could chit chat about either non-work stuff, or you could ask that question that you wouldn't ask in the in-person meeting. And, and the time that people would linger, if you're the one running the meeting, the most productive time is usually afterwards when that one person stays long enough to ask you that question in private. Yes, and that's the thing I think we still haven't really realized we need to replicate in a virtual setting, which is those open spaces for people to have the kind of one-on-one, -on -one, not monitored, not in front of the rest of the group conversations. And that's what a lot of the leaders that I'm working with right now, I'm encouraging them to do. Open the line for your meeting, your Zoom meeting 10 minutes early, leave it open 10, yeah. 15 minutes later and, and let either that bonding happen as a group or let those people come to you with questions that they would feel uncomfortable asking in the Slack channel or the project management software or in the meeting itself. Yeah. And uh, as a reminder, your book's not called Work From Anywhere, it's Lead From Anywhere. <laughs> 
And a lot of the work of leadership is building the culture and hiring, you know, yeah. doing things that, that are beyond what we normally, or not normally think of, but that certainly add more dynamics when you're trying to do it from anywhere. Exactly. The biggest thing that we see when a lot of teams go remote, whether that's a whole company going remote voluntarily or whether all of us had this thrust upon us a couple months back, the biggest thing we see is a breakdown in what the researchers would call shared understanding and shared identity. Shared understanding is that sense that I know the knowledge, skills, and abilities of the other people on the team. I know their expectations. I know their work preferences. A lot of that happens organically. It's not that we... It's not that we weren't doing it or we overlooked it. It's that it happened without us needing it yeah, to happen. Yeah. People could walk down the cubicle, et cetera. Now that's on you, right? Now it's on you to build that sense of helping people understand their work preferences, even just helping coordinate calendars so people know when are we working, when are we schooling our kids because they live in a district that's closed, when are we doing what? Helping coordinate that understanding, that falls on you as the team lead. And shared identity, this is actually, I think, going to be the bigger hurdle moving forward as, as we're now we've got vaccines out and we're, we see a light at the end of this really long tunnel, but not everyone's going to want to come back all of the time. And some workplaces even now, and even during the pandemic, we're just doing reduced capacity. And when you're doing that and only certain people are in the office every day and other people are remote most of the days, it makes it really easy for an us versus them mentality to creep in between the co-locators and the remoters. And this again falls on you to make sure there's that sense of team identity, that reminder that we are all one team. We're all working towards that same goal, e even though there are some people that are synced up in time zones and work calendars because they're at the same place and others that that aren't. And these, again, these are things that I don't know that I would say we, we overlooked or we forgot them, but they could happen organically without us when we were co-located. And now we need a deliberate plan to replace those things. I know a couple uh, companies or I've seen examples of companies that are using some of this technology to uh, to be video present, at least. So <laughs> it's almost like we're co-working. We're not really meeting or talking about anything. Uh, do, does that add anything or is that just a gimmicky use of technology? What is it that Hamlet says, right? Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so. <laughs> I would say in this one, execution makes it. Unfortunately, the number one way those technologies are used is a lame excuse at spying. So if we're all supposed to be there, then I'm going to just do the same mistake I made before, which is assume that presence equals productivity, right. and I'm watching for when you're logged into it. But there are people, particularly the extroverts, that like the idea of working. These are the people that used to organize the, the, the group study sessions in college because yeah. they would know they would study better if two or three people were watching them. This is actually me. So I wrote this entire book in, in eight weeks. Again, we had a lot of the research. I just had to seek out the research on specific to virtual, but we had a lot of this research on Teams. Sitting down to actually type out the whole thing, we did in eight weeks. And I say we because I had two other friends that were also writing books. John, I didn't know you were writing one or else I would have invited you to these. But every weekday at 11 a.m., we jumped onto a Zoom call and we would say hi to each other, exchange a few pleasantries. And then we would set to work and we would type for about 45 minutes, 55 minutes, and then we'd take a break and chat again. And then we'd sign off and see you tomorrow. So used in that limited capacity for specific people, these can be a great thing. The trick is to make sure it's something that nobody feels obligated to do. So then they don't feel watched, but everybody feels welcome if they choose to do it. So I actually like the software. I just think it's a thing you could say, hey, every weekday from uh, one to three or every from 10 to noon, this room is open if you want that sense of socialization. But if it feels obligatory, if it feels recommendatory even, yeah. then it's something that people will feel spied on, feel like they have less autonomy and you won't get the productivity benefit out of it. 
in remote meetings or, or gatherings of any type, are, are you seeing or learning or picking up tips from people for how to do these better? To how to because we we don't have the body language, we don't have all of the backstory sometimes. And are there things that we need to be doing not to replicate that, but to replicate the experience of that? Yeah, yeah. So some of this is limited by the technology. And again, if we think about, oh, virtual meetings don't work because we have to do them on Zoom, in-person meetings rarely worked either, right? So again, we have a very low bar to call. But there are a few things we're learning that, that make for most effectiveness. Zoom fatigue is a real thing. And so that one of my biggest pieces of advice to most people is think about it less as a weekly 90 minute all hands meeting and more as one meeting per purpose or per agenda item. So you, you want to call that meeting and maybe now it's three 30 minute meetings that happen across two or three days with a specific reason, just one reason per meeting for that. The other benefit is that changes the attendee list, right? If you think about your normal kind of all hands meeting, not everyone needs to be discussing every agenda item. It's just easier to get everyone there because everyone's already in the office. Now you're asking people to change their schedules around. So if you think about one purpose per meeting, that attendee list changes as well. And so you want to make sure that there are people that if they don't need to be there, they shouldn't feel obligated to, to be there. And then if for you, if you're running the meeting, my biggest tip would be to have someone else manage tech and yeah. also watch you. So it's hard enough to run one of these virtual meetings. It's even harder if you're the one that has to let them in the waiting room and monitor the chat and do all of that sort of stuff. So appoint somebody else to do that. But also... Ask that person to be on what most uh, softwares call gallery view and be mm -hmm. watching for those reactions, right? Like yeah. you said, we can't see body language as much. And, and be honest, most of us actually watch ourselves in the video more than we watch anyone else. But if yeah. there's somebody who's not you, who's watching for those reactions, if they're responsible for watching everyone else's body language, then they're going to catch those little slights, those little things you say that maybe accidentally communicated disrespect or that you were overlooking somebody or that you interrupted someone that you didn't even know you interrupted them because they've got a bad connection or you don't. That's usually better caught when it's someone else watching you. And then it's also, again, helpful if that's the person who's monitoring the tech, making sure people are unmuted, all of that sort of thing. It, usually, it works way better when there's really two facilitators, a content facilitator and a tech facilitator. And now let's hear a word from our sponsor. Do you want more leads and faster? Whether you own a small to medium-sized business or a marketing agency, Vant.io is the solution for you. It's an AI-powered, all-in-one lead generation solution that leverages email, social outreach, pay-per-click, retargeting, sales chatbots. If you're a marketing agency or consultancy looking to scale your offering and client base, they even offer a white-label solution that allows you to fully customize and sell the platform as your own service. Find out more. Sign up today at bant.io. Look for a link in the show notes. So... One of the things that I have noticed is that the small talk has a tendency to go away sometimes. You yeah. get on these things, everybody's there, they're digging in. It's, okay, let's go. Is that something that you think has a place that that should be replaced? Oh, I, I absolutely think it has a place. There's the, the My last book was about networking and making connections. And that small talk where we talk about the game or we talk about what we did over the weekend or we talk about our big thing we're bragging on right now, for example, is my wife and I bought two of those electric bikes so we can keep up with our eight-year-old and our six-year-old and do family rides. Those little bits of sharing are important. But think about when they happen. They usually happen at the beginning or at the yeah. end of the meeting. They happen as you're walking down the hallway to the meeting. Right. Right. And so creating that space, I think it, it goes huge. And you don't have to, again, it shouldn't be 
uh, mandatory, but over time, if you schedule it, if the meeting's every Monday at 10 a.m. and people get used to the idea that at 9.45, you're in the room anyway, they'll start coming into the room early because they're there might as well. And and if you say, hey, this is the end of the meeting, but if people want to hang out, I'll linger and you make a plan in your mind and your calendar for 30 minutes after the meeting is over to just be there on Zoom or Microsoft Teams, those little conversations will happen. The, the other way that they happen is in what, what I was describing to you earlier, what I call work sprints. So using that software where everybody's virtually together, if you're pairing people off for that or if people are opting into that, during those little breaks, they're going to have usually not work conversations. They're going to have those other conversations. But yes, that's actually, I think, the biggest thing we lost when we moved from uh, the office to the house. Actually, I say that, but having been somebody who works at home myself for the last... I don't know, a decade or so. I think the thing I really lost was an IT guy. It's my job to fix the copier. But in a team capacity, what we really lost, we lost those little serendipitous interactions, those little small talk interactions that build bonds outside of work that help with that sense of, of team identity that we were talking about earlier. So finding the time to put that back into the calendar is huge. Has anyone been able to definitively measure productivity in and out of the office? Certainly the proponents of each side have pointed to gains by one or the other. (laughs) Yeah, this is a tyranny of measurement, right? So it depends on what you're asking. We saw articles right off the bat about how productivity was up. And then it turned out that we were defining productivity based on when you sent your first email of the day and when you sent your last. And then assuming that meant, oh, you worked 12 hours today. No, I took a big break from 11 to one because I had to make sure my kids were in Zoom school. In those sort of things, it's really, it's hard to measure. And a lot of call center jobs that went remote, it's you could use a better proxy. Sales, most outside sales organizations have been remote for decades now. So those are a little bit easier to measure and you definitely do see those gains. I, th- I think for most leaders though, I, the probably the most important thing you should be looking at is twofold. One, whether or not we build a system where people can keep the rest of the team updated on what they're doing, what I often call working out loud. And if you do that, then the productivity measurement metric that you choose, it's it doesn't get gamed because what you're actually needing to do is keep your colleagues aware of what you're working on and what your pain points are and that sort of thing. And then just focusing on those outcomes. We set the timeline that this project would be done on this date. Did we hit it or not? Tends to be a better metric. And that'll give you a sense. You could compare that to the amount of time that people are spending in the office, not in the office, logged in and seeing those outcomes pieces um, as well. But yeah, my, my default for most organizations I'm working with right now is don't worry about measuring email response time or time that they're logged into the spy software, any of that sort of stuff. Focus on, are they working out loud? Are they keeping people updated on what's going on, what they're working on that day or that week? And then are they actually hitting the objectives that you set every time when you're doing your check-ins and things like that? And if that's happening and they are adequately engaged, then give them a say in when they're in work or not at work, or, I mean, sorry, in the office or not in the office, et cetera. Yeah, I'm sure that, of course, this would be a hard thing to unearth, but I'm sure that you could, if you had access to it, find out how much time people actually waste in the office under the guise of being there nine to five, right? Yeah, no, that's exactly right. So one of my my big uh, recurring conversations I wish I didn't have to have is people talk about how can we, they're using a company laptop, but they're at home. How can we keep track and make sure they're not on Netflix, et cetera? I'm like, how could you do that before? (laughs) Ask any IT person at any large company how much bandwidth is wasted on YouTube and Facebook throughout the day, and they'll tell you that just because they're there doesn't mean they're focused. And that's on what you can measure. You can't measure what they're watching on their phone in front of their desk because they pretend to be productive, right? 
So let's talk about another metric. Is there any research being done on this being a more fulfilling way to live your life as an employee, to have the flexibility and to have the ability to just what you said, Zoom school or whatever it is that maybe recharges you? Yeah. In terms of a well-designed study that would measure life satisfaction, I haven't really seen one yet because we're so new into this, right? One of the big dilemmas before BC, before COVID, right, <laughs> is that people who chose this usually opted into it. And we know from from different studies, run studies like the Nicholas Bloom and, and C-Trip study on remote workers that when they're doing it by choice versus being told by the organization to do it, they're more productive and have better satisfaction, et cetera. But there's that choice element. In terms of what isn't necessarily a choice, what's thrust upon you because of this, the the best proxy is probably the regular employee engagement numbers. And there the data is actually really interesting. And this is part of why the book's leading from anywhere and focusing on this sort of work from anywhere world is that employees tend to be most engaged when they're spending 40 to 60% of their time away from the office. So two or three days at the office, two or three days away from the office tends to be that sweet spot. Any more than that at the office and burnout and the, you, you start to watch office space in the office as a form of therapy at the end of the day because you're in the cubicle too much. Any less than that and you feel left out. So I think that's where we're going to fall for most of 2021 and beyond in terms of letting employees pick how often they're there is they're still probably going to pick two to three days mm. a week or, or the same number of hours spread across five days or something like that, because that tends to be the sweet spot of engagement. And so people are going to find that's a schedule that works for the most amount of people. So I was going to ask you, what does a return to the office look like? And I think you just described it there, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, that's what I would be planning for. The most optimistic way I like to say it is imagine that normal 90-minute commute into the city that you used to do every single day, except now you're excited about it because it's only one of two days a week that you have to do it, and you're doing it to go to a meeting with your whole team that you're actually excited about being a part of because the rest of that stuff in the office that drags people down isn't there. But yeah, that's about what I see. There's a lot of people, that some call it hybrid, some call it a three-two-two week, three days at the office, two days off, then two-day weekend. I just think of it as, yeah, people are probably the most number of people are going to opt into two or three days at somewhere other than their home and then two to three days at home. Speaking with David Burkus, we're talking about leading from anywhere. David, do you want to tell people where they can find out more about your work and certainly about the book Leading From Anywhere? Yeah. If you listen to this far, you're part of a very special group. You're part of what I like to think of as the end of the podcast club. And so you probably already know that the show notes for this episode are probably the best place you can find all of that stuff. But if you're driving, please don't pick up your phone. And what davidberkus.com would be the best place to go. B-U-R-K-U-S. It's a really weird last name, which means all the dot coms are still open, which is always a blessing. From there, you can find out of the book. We've got a bunch of resources that are just free. You don't have to buy a copy of the book that hopefully help you and where to connect with me and keep the conversation going. And, and I hope you do, because this is a conversation conversation that we'll be having for a long time. Yeah, absolutely. It's just another evolution. So David, uh, thanks so much for stopping by and hopefully we'll run into you soon. One of these days when we all get back out there on the road. Yeah, no, I'm looking forward to meeting people in person again, like I never have before, which is ironic given this book, but man, I, I really am. <laughs>